Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day and welcome to The Call on this Wednesday. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great that you can join us and our experts on the show today, Carl Kapalinga from Think Markets and Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Welcome to both of you. Uh, Michael, how much attention are you paying to the macro picture, you know, given particularly uh, the Reserve Bank yesterday just had GDP drop, which was uh, slightly lower than expected? Is that sort of influencing your decisions at the moment? It's been pretty much the same story for the last sort of six, 12 months. You can't really escape the macro. The markets tend to sort of ebb and flow just as the momentum in sentiment changes. Um, It's hard to get a read on exactly what's going to happen. Our belief is probably inflation will remain stickier than many people expected. Um, You're going to see interest rates continue to grind higher. We haven't got too carried away ultimately with the macro, because we're just really trying to find good businesses that are able to deliver, regardless of the environment. But it does definitely have uh, an impact on the market psyche and also your own individual psyche as an investor. But I think we just got to try and separate that to some extent. Carl, how are you seeing, particularly what you're seeing on the markets at the moment, that that momentum? And you look at the the S&P 500, uh, look, we're pretty much back in, in bull market territory. Yeah, yeah, we are. I mean, Michael makes a good point. I mean, his strategy is more based around the fundamentals. And he says, look, you know, cut through the noise. I mean, we can hear all the noise that's out there and just focus on the fundamental picture for the stocks he's looking at. For me, it's very similar. Cut through all the noise and focus on the underlying trends in the chart. And, you know, you know, I've said this to you before, I live in constant fear as a technical analyst that all the FUD will eventually come to fruition and destroy the trends that I'm writing. But it doesn't stop me from following those trends. And right now, the best trends, Andrew, hands down, are not here in Australia. They are over in the US and they're in big tech. And fortunately, here at Think Markets, uh, we can trade all of those things just as easily as buying or selling BHP. Yep. Well, of course, mind you, yeah, you're going to be redundant soon anyway. AI will be doing all the stock. AI, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's get into the stocks. Uh, we're going to take a look at the first five will be Ordinate, Shaver's Shop, Rural Funds Group, Duxton Water and Next DC. Our stock of the day is Polynovo. It's the Burns Treatment Specialist uh, posting a record monthly sale of $7.2 million in May. The majority of that being sales in the US total revenue for the 11 months to May rising 54% from a year ago to just over $38 million. And uh, as a result, if we take a look at the stock price, it has popped today. Uh, In fact, I don't have the exact uh, figure, but it certainly was over 10% last time I looked. Carl, let's get your assessment of, uh, you know, particularly its, its move into the States has been impressive and it's worked thus far. Yeah, they've just launched, when I say just in April, launched their uh, main product, which is a a sort of a burns treatment solution based upon a biodegradable matrix, which you apply to the wounds. It helps the body uh, heal faster than uh, conventional uh, procedures. 
and then it obviously biodegrades at some stage. And it is, you know, very highly regarded by the physicians who are using it for other applications as well. They see uh, that, you know, you hear a lot of uh, reports back via uh, Polynova, of course, that physicians are finding other novel ways to use it. So um, the product works. Um, in terms of Aussie biotechs, it's a little bit unique in that uh, they're not at phase two or three trials trying to battle with the FDA to get something approved. The product's there, and even better, it's being sold. Money's coming in the door, and profits aren't too far away. Uh, when I say aren't too far away, order of magnitude, let me tell you here what the uh, the big brokers are forecasting uh, FY24. So we're in FY23. We're nearly at the end of that, obviously. So to June 30 next year, a break even, okay? That's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you can't invest in a company that's only breaking even because the growth in earnings means that the year after that in FY25, uh, we're gonna go from earning zero cents per share to earning two cents a share, which doesn't sound like a big jump, but then the year after that, you're earning closer to four cents a share and then it goes from there, okay? So you're paying 80 times, uh, to boil it all down, 80 times FY25 earnings. And for some people, They'll say, oops, no, that's where you lost me, Carl. I'm not prepared to pay 80 times the year after next year's earnings. It's too risky for me. I get the growth story, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for some dividends and some capital stability and, you know, yeah, tell me tell me about some of those. So it's more for your growth investor, somebody's prepared to sort of hold through the execution risk in them achieving those sales and the product still maintaining its relevancy and attractiveness to physicians over that time frame. And there's some risks there. But if you like growth and the market does like growth, then it's one you could look at. So I like the business. Um, I like the valuation. I think the valuation is reasonable for the growth that's in the business. And then the third place I go is the is to the chart. And I say, well, if I if I get the first two ticks and the chart is showing a nice uptrend, which means that it's not just me that's seeing the benefit of owning this company, the rest of the market is, then I'm happy to buy it. I'm not seeing it. And that's where this one falls down. So we've still got short-term, long-term downtrends. The price action predominantly lower peaks, lower troughs. We don't want to see those falling peaks and troughs. It means that there's more supply in the system than demand. And this could have been a case of sort of buy the rumour as they were getting closer to launching uh, in all those uh, big geographic regions and selling the fact. I don't think uh, the, re- the, the valuation is unreasonable, but until it starts to push higher, mm. say through, say, 180 with some nice white candles, viewers have to watch out for those white candles. Um, I can't really get too excited about it. But look, if you've got it, hold it. Yeah. Okay. So you're watching it, in other, in other words. Yes. Yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, Michael, yeah, as Carl points out there, biotech, it's such a difficult space to be in, isn't it? But they have actually, you know, got that approval. So that's the first huge step for them. But the next path, obviously, to profitability. That's right. I think this technology first emerged sort of after the Bali bombings. Um, Historically, to treat burn victims, they would use pig skin. Um, But over time, they've come up with this mesh technology. There's also spray on skin that some others do as well. So it is somewhat of a competitive space. It's very much a trading position for us, for clients. We've sort of watched this one for over five years and we've been in and out a number of times. Um, It tends to be quite a volatile stock. It'll take off for certain reasons and pull back. It had a tough time during COVID because that's when it was sort of emerging into really the commercialization phase, trying to get out and sell um, this to to clinicians and and doctors. Um, But obviously that was restricted during that period. They've now raised some cash at the end of last year, which gives them a, a nice little piggy bank. You had the chairman buying stock at around a dollar last year. That put a rocket under the share price. Um, then he's recently sold a big chunk of that position. So then you see the share price come down. So it does move a lot on the news flow, this one. The company is very good at keeping the market 
updated. Um, as an investor, it's somewhat difficult to decipher what's actually meaningful sometimes and what's just being put out there to generate interest. But every month at the moment, the sales momentum and sales growth numbers are very, very good. This month, it's it's breaching the $7 million level. Last month, it was breaching the $6 million level. So they're continually updating the market. And there's no doubt the momentum in those sales numbers is very strong, looking to become profitable in FY24. So even for your more risk-averse investors, I'm not saying for your totally risk-averse investors, but even for your more risk-averse investors, it's sometimes good to see that pathway to profitability. Mm. Um, it is in touching distance. So for us at the moment, we're happy to hold it. We're not jumping up and, and buying it. Um, but it is one that we have traded a lot in the past. Yeah, interesting. Okay, all right. Well, that's a double hold then for our stock of the day, which is Polynovo. Right, let's get into the ones as picked by you. The first one being Ordinate, uh, that is uh, what develops and sells digital audio visual networking solutions both here and internationally. And um, well, Michael, again, the question is the the path to profitability for the for the company. Yeah, so this is a business that we like a lot. It's in our top five, 10 holdings in our managed fund. Um, essentially, they've developed technology which allows pieces of equipment to communicate, or electronic equipment to communicate without the needs for cords and cables. They've effectively embed this protocol called Dante into new electronics coming to market. So you think all the big electronics manufacturers, Ordinate is in, I think, 80% of those new electronics coming to market. Um, they're growing at seven or eight times the nearest competitor um, they did struggle during COVID due to chip issues, which the rest of the world was facing and supply constraints. They have an enormous order backlog. Um, so the demand is certainly there for them. They've moved from only being in the digital audio space into the visual space as well. Um, so there's a huge market for them pretty much that's untapped and for them to really emerge almost as a somewhat of a monopoly if they can keep on this trajectory over time. Um, they've been interesting. It's been interesting the way they've been trading in, in recent months. They're really in a very, very tight range. I'll be interested to get Carl's view on this. They have threatened to break out a couple of times in the last few weeks because all their recent updates have been very strong. Their February um, update was above expectations. So from our standpoint, we feel as though they're only a little bit of positive sentiment or a good update away from breaking above the $10 mark. Um, but it has, has been interesting how the range has become very, very narrow. But on a long-time term frame, we, we do like this one a lot. So happy to give it a buy. A buy. Okay. All right. So, uh, Carl, over to you then, particularly as far as that tight trading range that Michael's pointed out. What are you seeing on the chart? I like the chart. Yeah, it's something we have been buying here at Think Markets. So I'm just checking my notes here. I, I do a Twitter shortlist most days when I think there's something to put out there. Um, so follow me on Twitter for that one. So I shortlisted this on the 19th of May, the 26th of May and the 30th of May. Um, I haven't uh, put it in this week because we've got a few of those black candles. But on the whole, I think the trends look very, very good. Um, can we break through 10 bucks? I think this is as good as an opportunity to do that as it has had probably in the last 12 months. Um, I think the, the pop-up of the last uh, week or two is, I think it's kind of been dragged up with the, the broader tech sector and part of that um, AI enthusiasm. Uh, and I'm really just waiting for a, a perpetuation, if that's even a word, of that initial spike. So I'm talking for viewers who want to go check the candles. I'm talking about the 26th of May. Um, and you can see that's the, that's the key. Uh, and that tells me that we did see a, a significant amount of demand pushing. You can see a huge volume 
spike on that day, which is important to remove the supply that is just sitting at 10 bucks. Um, the performance since then hasn't been ideal, as I said, black candles. So if I get another white candle, like the 26th of May, then it becomes very clear to me. It, it is an absolute hands-down buy. Until then, if you've got it, happy to hold it. Many of our um, Marks clients do own it. Um, and, yeah, look, I, it, it, yeah, 10, 10 bucks is clearly the level. So, But I don't think you need to wait for it to break that. As I said, nice big white candle, happy to get in. Uh all right. Oh, but, so what to do now? Hold, hold it for now. Yeah, yeah, hold it for now, but watch with the potential to buy. Yeah. Uh, okay. With the potential to buy, just wait for that big white candle. Yeah, okay. All right. Great. Ordinate. All right. Let's move on into the retail space. Shaver Shop. Uh, Xander, uh, wanting to know about this one, it is personal grooming, operating about 120 stores here and in New Zealand. Um, it's actually growing its dividend over the past five years. Obviously got a bump out of COVID when, uh, well, we couldn't go to the hairdresser or the barber, so we were doing it ourselves, and therefore we needed their products as a result. Uh, Carl, I guess they're, uh, they're counting on our, our vanity, aren't they? Because they're pretty bullish about their growth potential. Yeah, I mean, that's a great um, summary of where they're at right now, but they are, um, so they're cycling a huge bump, but you know, I think they're doing it really well. Uh, and I saw some numbers, again, from the company saying they're about 60% above pre-COVID levels. So uh, anything here is um, is a great result if they could continue to maintain it. So even if they had flat growth, I still think they're pretty cheap. Uh, they're trading on about seven times this year's earnings. Uh, there's some growth in the business. So, you know, sort of mid-single mid digits brings it down to six times by FY25. So on, on the first part, it looks, looks very, very cheap. Um, they are saying, however, and this is why the share price has underperformed for most of this year. Um, if you look at sort of their updates around March, where the share price really turned down, they were saying, look, the November, December was very slow. And then January, February, we're, at, we're actually seeing, seeing a contraction in sales. So the market will need to see some reassurance that that situation is stabilised. And therefore, the growth that is factored in, that brokers are factoring in, this is uh, Thomson Reuters consensus estimates here, they're factoring in 9% growth. Uh, over the next three FYs. So we've got this disconnect, and that's what the chart is reflecting between what the brokers have forecast and what the company's saying. Uh, so either the brokers drag down, so we start to see a bunch of profit downgrades, or the company reassures the market. Uh, and uh, one of those outcomes is good for shareholders, one of them isn't. The chart suggests to me it's probably more going to be broker downgrades than the company somehow surprising the market. Um, I can see a clear short-term downtrend the long-term trend has turned from up to down. That's really concerning. And more importantly, uh, that uh, on each rally that we try to push back up, we're seeing a really, really focused um, amount of supply coming in to take advantage of those rallies. So you see those sell into rallies, which is not great. Candles look horrible. So as much as I can see uh, some promise there, the chart suggests to me that you would sell here. We'll call it a shave then, shall we? <laughs> shave, shave it out of the portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> right, sorry, couldn't help myself. All right, <laughs> okay, Michael, what are your thoughts? Um, Carl summed it up very well. Basically, they had a big boom during COVID. Uh, they really got their omni-channel, the online channel working overtime and, and got that part of the business ticking along very nicely, which helped the margins of the business boost up as well. But we've seen that revert somewhat to more normalized conditions. People are purchasing less through the online channel, heading more back into stores to purchase their, their shavers and whatnot. 
The problem, however, is that management have noted that foot traffic in the early parts of the year and the back end of last year have been lower than pre-COVID levels. Management's very been very cautious about the rest of the year, given the the hit to the consumer from inflation and interest rates. Um, so it is a, a challenging time. It does look very cheap, like a lot of consumer stocks out there. And for that reason, you sort of want to keep it on your watch list because we do think at some point these consumer type businesses trading on very low PEs and still growing fairly decently can actually um, can actually become buyers at some point. But look, for now, I don't think it is at all. I think it's 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 trending very poorly on the charts. Management have been very very cautious and aren't really painting the most optimistic picture. So I don't see any reason to to jump in. I'm happy to go sell as well. Yep. Okay. Do you, I mean, do you think uh, obviously cost of living? is a huge issue for people at the moment. Do you think it's likely to benefit at all? Perhaps are we going to think about stop spending at the hairdresser and do it ourselves again? Well, maybe you'll go from, you know, the $80 haircut to just cuts that yeah. even still exist yeah. or the bar, or the local barber. But yeah. I think you've got to get pretty dire to start cutting your own well, hair. Well, we'll see if <laughs> yeah. those interest rates keep rising, you never know. I just Andrew, just on this one. Look, I think they've got really. It's a really defensive part of discretionary. Yeah. Uh, I'm like I'm like Michael. I think when they start to turn around, I think they just need to reassure the market that it's not as bad as the market's thinking. The market always believes the worst, right? So assume the worst. Shoot, shoot first, and then ask questions later. As we start to see, and we're so close to earnings season, right? I mean, it's, it's the seventh. It is the seventh of June today. So within the next uh, six to eight weeks, we're going to start to get these reports coming through, and probably even earlier for the um, you know the, the 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 profit warning season and uh, if all goes well through that maybe you see in the back half these consumer discretionary stocks uh, start to repair themselves and I think the it will happen in advance of it uh, of you know the interest rates peaking or turn up in the economies the market is always looking uh, forward but if you're holding this and I, again you know a lot of clients do, are holding these and they're, they're, they they say oh Carl the dividend yield is so high mm. and the PE is so low what do I do with it and I say well the chart don't look good let's let's look let's at least trim some take take some off the table and it doesn't you know just because we get out here doesn't mean we can't get back in somewhere down the track if it starts to turn up so yeah look I, I think if you, the risk is things get worse with everything in the economy and then these things get even have, have even lower PEs and those dividend yields don't eventuate because yeah. they have to cut those yeah okay good point all right that was Shaver Shop. Let's now get, we're going to dip into the ag space now uh, with Rural Funds Group, uh, Dion's Choice. Also want to know about uh, ducks and water. So that's, we're going to do this afterwards. Um, pointing out that they seem to be a discount to net asset value. Well, let, let's begin with uh, Rural Funds Group. It is ag property, uh, essentially a, a farmland REIT. Um, Michael, what are you seeing here, particularly as far as it's pointing out that well, its property revenue did grow uh, significantly due to increased rents on, on particularly capital expenditure and new leases and so mm -hmm. on? What are you seeing here? Yeah, so as you point out, it's pretty much a real estate investment trust, owns a lot of farmland diversified across things like macadamias, cattle properties, almonds, vineyards, cropping, um, and basically then lease out those land holdings um, to large corporate farmers. Um, I think 81% are large corporate farmers that are either listed on the ASX or in overseas exchanges. So their tenants are very large businesses. Um, they have a diversified suite, but they're not insulated completely from the ebbs and flows that you often see in the agricultural sector. It sounds cliche, but 
you know, it's always very, there's so many variables out there that can go wrong at any given time that it makes these businesses very cyclical. And in the last 12 months, rural funds has been confronted with higher interest rates. They do have a fair bit of debt on the balance sheet. Obviously, the interest repayments have gone up off the back of that. Lower macadamia prices hurt them a lot. Um, and the impact of flooding um, was significant in New South Wales for them. So a tough 12 months, and hence why the share price has been under pressure, pays about 6 6.5% dividend yield. Um, so it's, a, it's more of a yield play, but I always struggle, I think, with agricultural businesses being listed. I often think they're probably best off in the hands of private investors, just because the market likes certainty. It likes to see consistent growing earnings compounding year after year. And by nature, ag businesses just aren't like that. Um, so when you're, when you're listed on the stock market, you've got to be answerable to the market every six months or every quarter with your updates of how you're tracking. And whether you like it or not, the torch does get, get shined on you. And if you're not moving in the right direction, you've got a volatility in, in your balance sheet, then I think the market discounts that. And that's why I think you're seeing RFF trading at a big discount to its NTA. Um, and obviously those reasons I touched upon have affected it also in the short term. So for mine, I think it's probably a hold here. It's probably come back a long way. The dividend yield has adjusted higher off the back of the falling share price. So relative to cash and bonds, it's now looking a little bit more attractive than it was. Um, so for mine, I'm happy to hold it, but it's not something I want to really buy for a long term. Yeah, it sounds as though you're not really interested. Yeah. You don't really want to get in there. <laughs> no. uh, all right. So Carl, what's your view then? Yeah, I'm not interested either. So, I mean, I can give you the long, the long version where I give you all the reasons why I'm not interested. Or I can just tell you, go look at the chart and it's bloody awful. I mean, it is the worst looking chart out of the 11 stocks we're going to talk about today. Uh, it's top left, bottom right, which is the opposite of what you want to see. So, look, I mean, there's a time and a place for these sorts of investments, as Michael says. And I just don't think in a rising interest rate environment that, you know, this is the place to be. Uh, about half of their uh, half of their leases are uh, fixed, so they can't they can't claw back higher costs. And I think that's what the market doesn't like about this one. So it's a sell for me. Yep. All right. Okay. Well, let, let's stay in that space then, uh, because uh, also a question in terms of ducks and water, which has our next stock. Uh, so also in ag, in fact, only a portfolio of water entitlements. So they're looking to provide solutions essentially to, to farmers um, earn sort of lease income and from, uh, from that. Uh, once again, though, I guess it's uh, all dependent on the vagaries of, of agriculture and more specifically the weather. Uh, is it raining? That would help. Carl, what are you seeing with this one then? Uh, no, you don't want rain for these guys. You want the opposite of, of, of wet weather because obviously they, they're supplying farmers with yeah, the certainty need, of having water. They need the water, yep. so it's the scarcity, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, when we've just had um, La Nina, which is wetter weather, and we've had, you know, it's like once in 60-year uh, conditions in terms of just too much water. So it's it's a bear market for them. But of course, you know, the scientists, now, you know, if they're right, they're forecasting we're going to go to the El Nino, which is the dry weather, which in theory should be better for Duxton. So um, it's interesting. Uh, who was this? Uh, Dion. Dion sort of asked about the sort of the, the one that's focused on farming, who then buys the water from this one, uh, which is which is Duxton. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, uh, look, interesting business. Obviously, there's that tantalising aspect of it that we're going into La Nino. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, it is. 
Yes, El Nino, El Nino, sorry. Uh, but ultimately, this is, it is a debt lease vehicle still. So it, it's not dissimilar to your other uh, property trusts or REITs where, you know, you raise a lot of debt, you invest in some assets, you try and earn a return and distribute that back to, to shareholders. And obviously, with rates going up, it's not ideal for them. So you've got that balancing against the um, El Nino. Uh, the yield for this is is a fraction, as in, you know, 3.8% versus over 6% for the last one we talked about. Um, and I would uh, point you in the direction of a term deposit, okay, because you're going to have so much less risk uh, for what is effectively the same yield. Um, the other thing I would say, look, the chart isn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. RFF, that chart is just awful, uh, but it's very flat. And I would also note that um, there's very little volume. It's, it's, it's extremely illiquid. Um, it, it's a very sketchy sort of chart when you look at the candles. Some days it doesn't even trade in a range. So the open, the high, the low, and the close are the same price, indicating that very few shares uh, went through. So it really it fails on so many of my uh. filters there. And I would suggest, uh, therefore, it would be a sell for me. And if you're looking for for about that much yield with capital stability, go go use a term deposit. All right, you've summed it up by saying ducks and water is illiquid. There you go. <laughs> That's mate, you're they're getting worse today. Yeah, Andrew. I don't. Totally <laughs> the the trend is not good here. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> okay, uh, Michael, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, it's an interesting exposure, and um, look, a lot of people would like this type of asset. You do hear a lot about. Water, water rights, um, the New South Wales government has been buying back a lot of entitlements in recent years, putting upward pressure on the value of many of these these entitlements that companies hold. And hence why you've seen that the NTA or, or NAV of this particular company increase over the last few years. So your total return based on the NAV has been about 12%, which is not a bad outcome at all once you factor in the dividends. The question is whether or not you think the government will continue to buy back entitlements for an ongoing period, um, continuing to push up the prices of these things. And that's an uncertainty factor for mine. Uh, as Carl touches upon, 4% dividend or distribution yields, not all that attractive. It does give you access to a, a niche asset that retail investors typically wouldn't get access to. And some people like that as a diversification mechanism in the portfolio. Um, I'd really have to understand the different types of water licenses that are out there. There's sort of security water licenses, then there are the groundwater water licenses and all these things would depend and prices will depend on many different variables such as rainfall demand. One thing the company does point out that demand for water is increasing significantly in Australia. Um, you're seeing more crops like almonds being planted which require a lot more water. Um, they argue as well that higher food inflation is actually positive for water prices. So potentially there is a bit of a perfect storm brewing at the moment for this company in the short term. On a longer term basis, I'm just not overly excited by a return on my investment of 4% with potentially some NAV uplift, which may or may not transpire. So for mine, happy to sell it and, and focus my attention elsewhere where I can potentially get an equity market type return of say, you know, eight, 10%. Yep, okay. Gee, you guys are pretty dark on ag stocks, aren't you? Um, anyway. Oh, but no, not necessarily. No, yeah. I dispute that claim. Look, I love ag stocks. I love ag, ag stocks, Andrew, when they're going up. And I'll be the first person <laughs> right. to tell look, yeah. And that's all it is, you know. And when they're not going up, why do you need to own them? That would apply to any stock you look at, though. Yes, absolutely. Right. Good time, not a long time. I know you point that out. Okay, let's get into infrastructure then uh, in terms of NextDC, uh, one of the largest data centre services as a provider uh, in Southeast Asia. In fact, it's uh, continuing 
to expand uh, into Malaysia, also uh, building one out in Auckland at the same time, beefing up what it has in Sydney. Michael, thoughts on NextDC? Yeah, it's a business that we've held for clients for some time and done fairly well off. Um, It is very expensive, so it's not one that we have been buying of late. Um, Pretty simple business model in theory. You go and you buy good quality sites close to the CBD or close to business parks such as Macquarie Park, put a data center and over time as demand for data grows, um, you can then start to build more and more centers as that occurs. the thing for NextDC, it's a very scalable model as well. Once the center's been built, um, you start to get some pretty good returns on capital. They've got some very large um, and trusted players in the space that, that, that are customers of theirs. If you think about large corporations, governments, military, these sorts of people. So it can be quite a, a good business. However, they do rely on a couple of customers as for 43% of their revenue. So there is some concentration risk there. They are looking to diversify out of Australia geographically, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, but it could also be a sign that a lot of the low-hanging fruit in Australia has been picked up and a lot of the easy transactions and easy money deals have been made. Um, But look, for now, we're happy just to hold it. They've recently completed a share purchase plan or an entitlement offer, to be more specific, which is to sort of raise the money to fund those expansions overseas. But before we get too excited, we want to see how that plays out over time. But look, it's a decent quality business, but not cheap by any means. However, the growth numbers are pretty good when you're looking at sort of revenue and earnings, et cetera, margins. All right, Carl, do you agree? Yeah, it's, look, it's one of those, it's a great segue from the, our discussion about a good time, not a long time. So I'm in this one for a good time right now, and I don't think I'm going to be in it for a long time. And I don't know how long that time is going to be to stick with the analogy, but when it turns around, then we'll get out. So we, we do have clients in this one. The chart looks great. That's why, you know, it's pretty much bottom left, top right. Um, got a big boost, obviously, from the announcement that they were going to raise more money to invest uh, in the capacity plus uh, sales revenue through the roof. So we're seeing um, a big, big pickup in uh, in the demand for what they do. And uh, the other reason why they got a bit of a boost recently is obviously uh, the big um, AI sort of euphoria, let's call it, because let's face it, you know, the, the more um, AI becomes, you know, ubiquitous within tech, uh, the more data is required to uh, maintain, to create and maintain that capability. And NextDC is at the forefront of that. So look, all I'm really doing is justifying my position in it, which is a long position. Um, and at the end of the day, who cares what I think? Because if it turns down, I'll be getting out of it quick smart. You have to understand anything I tell viewers to do is predicated on the chart continuing to move in a particular direction. And if that changes, we are out of there, you know, in an instant. So uh, happy holder here because the trend is, is is just fine. I could even buy some more of it if I saw some of those big white candles coming in and uh, where that trend ends is unknown to me. And I don't mind. Who cares? I don't care where it ends. I don't, and I'm not going to fret about it every day. Yeah. When it does, I'll get out. All right. Okay. We know where you're coming from. Good one. Okay, that's next DC. So let's sum up where we've been for the first half of the show. Our stock of the day, Polynovo, uh, the biotech company uh, with skin products, which has uh, expanded successfully into the States. Uh, Carl pointing out it's close to turning a profit uh, and he likes the valuations there. He's got a hold on it, as does Michael. 
um, saying it does sort of tend to move with the with the news flow. But you've sort of been pointing out that you've sort of been in and out of it over the past five years. All right, to the stocks as picked by you, uh, Ordinate. Um, Michael pointing out that uh, it is among their top ten holdings in the funds, um, and it's a huge untapped market. He's got a buy on it. Uh, Carlo has a as a hold, although potentially watching it to buy at this point. Shaver's shop in the retail space. Um, it uh, well, Carl pointing out that likely to have some broken downgrades here. Uh, does see a downtrend on the chart, therefore he's got a sell on it, as does Michael, despite the fact that it, he says it's, it is looking fairly cheap at this point. Uh, into the ag space, a couple of stocks here to talk about. Uh, the first one being Rural Funds Group. Um, look, a few issues to deal with there. Uh, certainly, given it's uh, also largely dependent on the weather, but uh, yeah, recent flooding didn't help. Look, Michael's got a hold on it, but what that wasn't really convincing. <laughs> uh, Carl pointing out is an awful chart. Among the ones we're looking at today is the worst. Uh, he's got a sell on it. Uh, also, ducks and water there in the same sort of space. Both have a sell on the stock. Uh, Carl pointing out is, is fairly illiquid too, and uh, Michael's seeing some short-term benefits there, but that's not longer term. And next, DC to round it out there in the infrastructure stock uh, as far as data centres. Uh, it's continued to expand. Uh, Michael's holding it, continues to hold it, and that's his recommendation. See the scalability of it, although pointing out it's not really cheap. And uh, Carl also holding it with perhaps the potential to buy, but he's, as he points out, He's in it for a good time, not a long time. Okay, let's uh, check out our portfolio that we're tracking here at the Call Pick by our Investment Committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. Show checking in on the update into June. South 32 was replaced by Altium. Woodside Energy was removed. Its weighting of 3% was split between CSL, Linus, and West Farmers. Elders was removed. Its weighting was split between the newly added uh, Avita Medical and RPM Global. Uh, so let's check in on the performance thus far, up almost 9% on a cumulative return basis since its inception in March last year. So keep, uh, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Of course, you can make your own recommendations. Okay, let's uh, turn to the next five stocks. Uh, we're going to be looking at Copper and Estate Olives, Woodside, Ingenia, Catapult, and EnviroSuite. So, back to the ag stocks, uh, Copper and Estate Olives. Uh, it's, um, well, look, it's obviously producing olives. It's got to plant the trees, then it's got to wait for them to grow. So, that's a, a bit of an, an issue there because you've got to wait that time. I think it, what it takes about five to eight years in terms of a a tree to mature and actually start producing there. Um, and it's also looking to expand uh, potentially into the States at the moment. I don't know whether it's actually already there, but uh, obviously a difficult market to crack at the same time. So, Michael, uh, do you like olives? I love Moreover, olives. would you be investing in this company? <laughs> um, I, I'd certainly buy their product. Um, they're pretty hard to miss in sort of Coles and, and Woolies. They're definitely the largest seller in this country. They're also the largest producer of olives and that they create 72% or grow 72% of the olives grown in this country. So they've definitely got a big presence. Um, the problem is, again, it is a very cyclical business. I know this sounds like a broken record. I say it a lot on these shows for these ag businesses. But for instance, last year, they had issues with their crop, which was 15% lower than forecast due to 
La Nina, which created cooler weather and tougher growing conditions. And these are the sorts of conditions that the business keeps facing. It's very difficult to predict with any certainty how this company is going to perform one year to the next. Olive trees as well, from my understanding, just doing a bit of reading, they've got two year cycles. So you'll get one year where you have a very good production and then the following year won't be as good and that affects the profitability of the company, uh, makes it very volatile when it comes to the earnings of the business. So again, from my standpoint, although they've got a very good product and they've really developed the business very nicely over the last 20 years, from an investment standpoint, I can't put a buy on it. Happy to go sell. Mm, all right. Okay. Um, Carl. Oh, I like olives too, but then you know, name like Capolingua, we go through quite a bit of olive, <laughs> yeah. olive oil in, in our in our household, that's for sure. Um, I'm, I don't mind Cobram. I've covered this many times actually on the call, and each time I say, look, I, I, I like the business, I like the valuation, but I just never like the chart, because the charts since inception has never really pointed up, to be fair. I'm just going back to the float. It's It's been a permanent downtrend. And it still is. And I think it's a great lesson uh, for any investor that you can have the best story. You can even on paper have the best valuation. But if the market isn't buying your story, then you're not going to make any money out of that investment. So uh, Ditto, I still like the business. I still think it's reasonably priced. Um, I'll put it into perspective for you. So Michael's quite correct about the two-year cycle for olives. My, my trees are going gangbusters this year. Um, so over the last uh, two years, well, let's go. This is the bumper year. So FY23 is a bumper year. Next year won't be. So it's going to earn 7.1 cents uh, this year, 1.9 cents next year. So you can see the different, huge difference, hey? 7.1 cents to 1.9 cents, total of 9 cents. So you've got to look at it in two-year blocks. If we go to the next two-year block going forward, it's going to earn 12.1 and 3.9, uh, which if my maths is any good, is going to be 17 cents. So that's a huge jump, isn't it? I mean, the massive, massive growth in earnings that are coming in, um, and it's going to see, it's hard to say, it's trading on, on, on an average uh, of about 25 times earnings, which I think is reasonable for that growth. So um, I should have just stopped it. I don't like the chart. So it's still a self <laughs> really. But I know people see, see oh, that's me, but some viewers yeah. out there probably, probably own it and probably want to hear that other stuff that, look, I think there's a good business there. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right. That is Cobram Estate Olives. Well, let's stay in oil. Bit of a different oil, though. Yeah, uh, same yeah right. This Mate, one, they, are just, they just keep coming for you today. Yeah, yeah. Well, i give you the good oil on this then, shall I? Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, Woodside, okay, it is in that, that black stuff, but moreover, it's yes. an energy company, oil and gas. Mm. Uh, Carl, what, what are you seeing here? Of course, it's all trying to play this energy transition at the moment. Uh, it has, you know, projects, uh, you know, diversity of projects at the moment. What, what do we need to look out for with a company as large as Woodside? Uh, ultimately, and look, Woodside, don't get me wrong, is is the preeminent quality energy play on the ASX, hands down. I mean, there's daylight between it and, I know, actually I shouldn't say there was, I know Michael's preferred <laughs> pick is, Woods, is Santos. And each time we get either Woodside or Santos, I go Woodside and he goes Santos. So I've probably um, stolen some of his thunder, but no, I'm still gonna stick with Woodside. But ultimately it's still uh, a play on commodity prices. And despite the quality, you know, I'm, I think I'm more bearish on energy prices going forward than I am bullish. Um, certainly if you look at the charts of say Brent and West Texas, and natural gas. Obviously, natural gas is the major part of what they do. They are very, very much um, top left, bottom right since the invasion of Ukraine. And, um, you know, 
I can't see I can't see those trends turning around anytime soon with interest rates historically relatively high. It's going to just put a bit of dampener on economic growth. China is still struggling and uh, therefore it's hard to be bullish about Woodside. And I think the chart's kind of reflecting the market's battle between the quality that this company is certainly, but then also the bearishness of that uh, energy pricing outlook. It is very, it's gone completely flat. So it was long-term uptrend. Now that long-term trend is almost completely flat. The short-term trends are flat. And what do I say about that? I need uptrends. So you know, flat trends aren't going to cut it for me. I can see a path to holding it if you're going to hold it for five years. But if you're trading it, I have to go sell. Mm, okay, interesting. Um, Michael, so yes, yes, look, we do know uh, you like Santos, but uh, <laughs> well, let, let's start with the Woodside. Uh, I mean, look, Woodside has been a good place to be in recent times. They've integrated the acquisition of BHP's energy assets very nicely. It's definitely the more conservative of the two when comparing to Santos. It's doing it in the here and the now. It's got very good quality assets, low costs of production, um, and it's generating very good free cash flow now, hence the good dividend yield. We prefer Santos on a more longer term time frame, um, given the, the trajectory of its free cash flow profile. Basically, Santos at the moment's got a lot of capex underway. They're conducting share buybacks. Um, over time, as those assets mature and come online and the capex is wound down and production picks up, we think they'll have an attractive free cash flow profile and therefore attractive dividend profile, which will eventually support the share price. Um, at the moment, Woodside produces a lot more than Santos. Within By the end of the decade, it's very conceivable that Santos will actually take over Woodside in terms of production numbers. Uh, but obviously there's inherent risks in trying to deliver, deliver all these projects on time and on budget and then delivering them at a point in time when the oil price is actually decently high. Um, our medium or short to medium term view of the oil price is we're uncertain. Um, there's a lot going on at the moment, particularly in China, which has been a lot weaker than people have expected. But on a longer term time frame, we're constructive on the oil price. The fact is in Western economies, the expenditure on new Oil supply um, is down 25% on a few years ago. OPEC has been struggling to meet their stated production targets, despite the fact they've continually been bringing down those production targets, they continue to still miss them. Um, so we, we do think that over the long term, it's a place that you wanna have some exposure to, whether the oil price is high or low, in the end of the day, it's anyone's guess and I admit that, but on the off chance or on the chance that it does turn out to be a shortage in energy. We feel as though Santos is the place that you want to be. Um, Woodside, you can hold it, um, but we just prefer Santos. Yep. You're not gonna, yeah, I, I doubt you're gonna blow all your money on Woodside or anything along those lines, but just mm. don't expect it to take off anytime soon. Yep, okay, all right. Alrighty, uh, let's now wait on to something completely different. Uh, we're getting into Ingenia. Uh, this one picked by Leon. It is the sort of owner-operator of uh, land lease rental and holiday parks. Um, yeah, struck some difficulties though. Um, significantly downgraded its guidance, run into construction problems and the like. Um, look, it is a difficult space. Michael, what are your thoughts on Ingenia? Yes, so this is the old ING um, real estate community living REIT, which they sort of just changed the name a couple of years ago. They've had a pretty good long-term track record of developing these assets. Um, they're sort of riding on the back of the build to rent for more mature Australians. 
They've got a lot in the pipeline, a lot of projects. Um, they, at the moment, they've got 109 existing communities, but they've got a number of different sites um, which they're looking to develop and settle about 2,000 properties each year. Um, but as you say, they're very much a property developer. They're not your sort of old school traditional real estate investment trust where you're just collecting um, the distributions in the yield. The yield on this one's very, very low, about two and a half, three percent. Um, obviously, because they're spending most of their cash flow on trying to build up the business and develop more land and develop more greenfield sites. So from my standpoint, it's not one I'm too familiar with. I'm probably put off initially by the low dividend yield because you're putting a, a lot of faith in management to deliver these projects. And, and as the recent updates demonstrate, it can be quite difficult. And obviously the high interest rate environments, the property market, all these sorts of things still haven't gone and faded into the background. So we're still nervous and a bit cautious on this space. So happy to go a sell. Yep. Mm. Oh, are you surprised, ooh, Carl? Ooh. Yeah. yeah, well, look, I, I, I love low dividend yields. And I know, <laughs> you know, Australian investors, they're obsessed with high dividends, aren't they? But, you know, if you've got a high dividend, typically you don't have a lot to do. So as management of a company, you don't, you can't really do much with that money. So you just tend to give it back to shareholders. If, not always the case, but if a company has a low dividend, check their earnings growth, it's probably much better because they, they, they've got something to do with that money. They can see a way to grow that money better than giving it back to you and you putting it in your bank account. And I certainly think this one fits that bill. And there is going to be great growth in this company going forward because they're continuing to de develop uh, new areas of land. And it is in an area of the economy, which is just absolutely essential at the moment, which is affordable living, affordable housing. And that's what they do. And particularly also focused on the aging population. So it's just tick, 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 tick for me um, in terms of what they're doing and the growth profile. Okay. So if you look at the broker consensus, we're talking about 18% compound annual growth over the next three FYs. Now the market, if the market's lucky over the next three years, it might grow at sort of seven or 8% per annum. It's, it's earnings, okay? So this is probably going to grow up more than double the market's rate of growth. It's so straight away, I'm interested. You tell me that, bang, I'm interested. I don't care what the dividend yield is. Then I go, well, what, what am I paying for that growth? And the average market PE is around about 15, okay? Long term, that's pretty much it. So I'm getting almost, and, and the PE on this is about, um, well, if I look at the, the median over the next three years, it's about 16. So if I own it for three years, I'm effectively going to be paying around 16 times earnings for something that's growing 18% per annum. So I pay just a tiny bit more than the market's uh, value for something that's growing twice as fast as the market. And that should equate over the long run into capital appreciation as well. So on the face of it, this looks absolutely smashing to me. Love what they do. Love the valuation. Um, I think it looks really cheap. I've got a price target of 481, which is about 16% upside. So you expect the next words out of my mouth to be buy, but they're not buy because I get to the chart and I go, the chart's not that great, but the chart's not awful by any stretch of the imagination. Look, I can go a hold because I can see that there is some, there is definitely some buying that has come into this since March. I want to see how that plays out. There's a little bit of supply in the market at the moment. It's pulling back. I think if it starts to starts to bounce off around about four bucks and starts to head back up, that's when it could start to look interesting. It's not a buy yet, but it's certainly on my watch list. No, yeah, yeah, you did fool me there. I definitely thought you were going to put a buy on it. Okay, but you're watching. I can't. It. I can't. Yeah, I can't. If the chart's pointing down, I can't buy it. It's Fair enough. That. Okay. 
All right, let's move to Catapult Group. This one picked by Jason. It is a um, small cap, uh, sports tech, um, sort of in the providing uh, sporting organisations with data analytics, monitoring athletes. Uh, you see that with a lot of professional athletes have that tag in, in the back of their shirt or whatever they're wearing yep. there to monitor you know, what they're doing. Uh, e- so just uh, take a look. In fact, uh, it had a big bounce just recently, Carl, there, uh, with its uh, reporting an increase in SaaS revenue uh, that uh, jumped by almost 22%. Does this excite you? Yeah, it does. Look, I mean, it's, it was a great result for them, and I think really reversed a lot of the sort of negative thinking towards them. And it's one of those which has done well, did well in uh, 2021, Andrew, if you remember the, the huge bull market we had on this just, just huge enthusiasm about technology and, and just investors paying crazy, crazy, ridiculous multiples of future earnings that may or may not have ever eventuated. And for this one, it was very much, well, you know, it, it was just overpriced, as simple as that. And the market came back to fair value, I think, and is now starting to realise as they're delivering on the promise from two or three years ago now. So it's taken two or three years to deliver on that promise. Um, the market is readjusting uh, the pricing of this one. So um, I'll let Michael speak to maybe some of the fundamentals, but just in terms of the technicals, I, I really, really like the turnaround it's had. I like the fact that uh, it had quite a lot of exhaustion selling. Uh, exhaustion selling, is that, is that, is that right? It, 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 there, was a, there was a burst of selling at the lows around late March, which tells me that the last fund managers you know, maybe small cap fund managers that have bought this on the way up with all the promise. They finally gave up. Um, we saw a bunch of buying come in after that. It pulled back a little bit, not a lot. That's important. And then we saw another burst of buying of white candles, of high peaks troughs um, on, on that volume, which tells me that some other fund managers are now looking to buy pullbacks into this one because the earnings are finally starting to materialise. So if you've got it, I'm a happy holder. If you don't have it, yeah, look, I could buy it here as well. I mean, it's it's a tr- it's going to be a trade again, uh, and as long as it uh, continues to stay in trend, I'd, I'd, I'd happily own this one. So I'm going to go um, add, as in if you were looking to buy, I don't know, I'm just going to use round numbers, $1,000, hmm. I'd throw a third of that right in right now because that's my that's just my methodology i never just go all in on anything i always just i don't care how if it's a 10 out of 10 chart i still buy a third of my intended allocation because i don't know what's going to happen next yeah so i'm happy to buy a third here if it starts to push up say through say 107 108 i'd add another third and if it was above 110 i'd add the final third Mm, okay all right some key levels there to watch michael Catapult, a much-loved stock um, from years gone by, was caught up in that big sort of tech boom in the aftermath of COVID, but has really come back to earth, like a lot of these ultra-high growth but fairly average balance sheet type companies. Um, Basically, they provide wearable technology, video analytics for athletes, performance data, these sorts of things. And they have some of the biggest sporting teams globally using their technology um, from you know, Manchester City, many of the NFL teams, Formula One drivers, etc. So it gets a lot of publicity off the back of that. But when you actually look at the, the balance sheet, they've just struggled to ever get to profitability. They're saying now, and it's probably being brought on by the fact that market conditions have changed. Management over the last couple of years spent an enormous amount of money on research and development and CapEx. That saw their free cash flow become even more negative. Um, it also saw their earnings continue to deteriorate. But now the company's obviously tried to pivot to bring profitability on sooner. 
because the market doesn't reward anything else these days. Um, so that was received well by the market. I think they're meant to have their first positive earnings half in for the first time in a couple of years, this coming half. Um, so you can see that there is a decent business there, but what happened was the market kind of lost patience with how long it was taking it to reach free cash flow positive and earnings positive. They might give it an opportunity now to redeem itself on that front. So if this company I think can deliver a couple of positive earnings halves in a row, you might see the share price turn around quite swiftly. Management have stated that their recent investment phase has come to an end and the focus is now on earnings. Let's see them deliver, because if they do, I think that there's upside in the share price. For the moment, it can give it a really high, high risk specy buy, but I wouldn't be putting a lot of my money in there as Carl touches upon. Yeah, all right, average in perhaps. All right, that's Catapult. Right, let's round it out uh, with EnviroSuite. And I guess you could argue it's a bit similar to Catapult, but we're talking about the environment instead, not well, not sport. It's sort of SaaS, environmental compliance, risk management, uh, incident intelligence solutions. Um, although I do note that it just lost um, uh, some business with the Australian Defence Force. Um, so, Michael... What are your thoughts then on EnviroSuite? Yeah, look, it's one of these businesses that everyone hopes that they succeed. Um, but look, to date, the business hasn't done that well at all. Um, if you look at the balance sheet, it's, again, one of these companies that spent a lot of money on research and development, has been burning through cash a long way from profitability, winning the occasional contract, losing the occasional contract. But essentially what they do is look to sort of monitor things like air quality, noise, um, water quality, things like dust, some different smells that emerge. So their target market is places like port authorities, airports, etc. There is some talk of some agreement in Saudi Arabia with one of those, one of their cities, you know, I think the north of the country. Um, But with contract accounting, you've always got to be careful for the way it's accounted for. When are they realizing the revenue? When's the cash flow actually coming through? Um, so for mine, I think it just looks pretty average on the charts. The balance sheet looks average um, and the new recent use flow is pretty poor as well. So I'm going to go a sell on that. Mm. Okay, Carl. Uh, I think you can waste this one from your portfolio, Andrew. No, just try harder. No, okay. Yeah. Uh, it looks, yeah, it's terrible on the chart. It's, it's one of those, so it's not like your software as a service that just ticks over um, getting you that sort of recurring revenue. They do have to go out and win contracts uh, with your big um, uh, airports, for example. They do a lot of noise monitoring, uh, uh, waste monitoring, all sorts of stuff, mining, um, uh, water uh, management. So they've got a lot of the big um, Australian water authorities as well. Again, they just lost, as you said, three out of their five um, contracts with the Department of Defence, and you know you've got to get, you've got to, you've got to plug that hole. In terms of their profitability, they're going to lose money. In fact, they've they've lost money forever. They've never made money. They're going to lose money next year, according to the brokers. The year after that, and they might make money in FY twenty six. And in theory, they're only trading on twenty two times that earnings. But that is just too far and too much risk. And I can see no redeeming features. I mean, this is of, of all the companies we've talked about today. I'm talking zero redeeming features on this one. So if you had it, I, therefore, I would suggest you sell it. Oh goodness, that is brutal. Yeah. Even after your assessment of <laughs> well, rural the, funds the, and ducks and water. The, the, uh, yeah, exactly. But the market is yeah. telling you. Look at the chart. The yeah. market hates this thing. It doesn't just hate it a little. It despises this thing. Mm. So you kind of have to get the picture on some of the stocks in your portfolio and just 
understand, you know, if the market hates it, the price will go down. Yep. All right. Okay. We dealt with that then. Uh, all right. Let's sum up where we've been for the second half of the show. Uh, Cobram State Olives. Look, both uh, Carl and Michael like olives, but they don't really like this one, to be honest. Um, it, you know, pointing out it's very cyclical. Carl looking at the chart saying it's very bad, permanent downtrend. Both have a sell on Cobram. Woodside. Um, look, uh, both pointing out the trends are flat there. Uh, Carl has a sell on it. And Michael, look, he's got a hold, but he does prefer Santos in that space. Ingenia, uh, in terms of uh, holiday parks and rentals, uh, has downgraded its guidance. Michael's got a sell on it. Um, Carl doesn't mind it, looking at the the low dividend there. uh, Growth potential, loves the valuation. Yeah, he's got a hold on Ingenia. Catapults, uh, this was the standout, I guess, for the second half of the show. Uh, Carl liking the turnaround there. He's got a hold, but looking perhaps uh, to uh, to add. Uh, as... I think you can add it now, Andrew. Add, add, add it now. Add okay, now. all right. Add you've some had, now. You've had, had more of a think about it. Okay, Michael, uh, looking at it as a, as a specky buy, you know, certainly looking at the high profile that the company has, again, with the uh, some of the major uh, global sporting teams. And just uh, Enviros Suite, look, a very different story, uh, both <laughs> having a sell on it, saying, you know, like, it's got a rubbish chart, losing it's rubbish. money. <laughs> rubbish. Yep, there you go. All right. Uh, hey, look, does, does, does a spec buy and an ad get to the uh, committee for Catapult? <laughs> I, well, now you've updated from hold to no, you're actually buying now. I said, I said, I said buy. Okay, let's put it in. Away. Okay, you've catapulted it into uh, consideration <laughs> right there. Let's keep coming. <laughs> okay, all right, good one. Uh, look, thanks to our guest, uh, Carl. Thanks to joining us, Think Markets. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. And Michael from uh, Medallion Financial. Great to catch up with you. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Now, of course, any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to ausbiz.co forward slash call picks or you can tweet us at TV. Stay with us. The Pulse is up next. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.